Welcome to Sound Method, a weekly podcast featuring inspiring audio creators from across the world of sound and the techniques they use in their best work. I'm Noah Snyderman, and I'm so excited to introduce my fellow host going forward, Jess Sang. Thanks, Noah. Happy to be here. Today's episode, Spatial Audio with Michael Traumer. Hi, my name is Michael Tromer. I'm a sound artist based in Toronto. Today we're going to talk about a VR ambisonic project called Ancient Thoughts and Electric Buildings. So this is a project that looks at a site that's actually in downtown Toronto that extends along the waterfront uh, along the Gardner Expressway. So if you're not familiar with Toronto, it's a location that basically goes through Toronto's downtown core uh, so the financial district, but it's also a location that's uh, currently occupied by a lot of homeless people. So this project uses ambisonic sound, contact microphones, and also electromagnetic transducers to uh, look at the soundscape between these two areas, which are, even though they're physically proximate, they're completely different. On the one hand, you have these office towers, uh, which are acoustically sealed, quiet, kind of dominated by the sound of climate-controlled systems and so on. And a few meters away, you have this cacophony, which you can hear now in the background. And uh, this became the basis for the project, the sonic contrast between the two locations. Michael, thank you so much for being on Sound Method. Um, just for our listeners to know, Michael teaches sound design theory at George Brown College and uh, other courses, I'm sure, as well. And I had the pleasure of being a student of his quite recently. Um, so we're actually covering some of the material that we went over in class. And Jess is, as you know, the guest on episode one and will be co-hosting with me, uh, which I'm really excited about. And it's Jess and Michael's first time meeting. So Michael and I have that student teacher history and and um we'll see how that plays out <laughs> <laughs> nice to meet you michael <laughs> nice to meet you Jess. <laughs> so michael i'm excited to talk specifically about the piece that we just listened to in the intro and listeners are encouraged to watch on vimeo you can actually see it in 360 degrees um, and that link is in the show notes or on our website uh, but before we do i'm wondering if you can give us just a bit of background on your sound design practice um, so most of it is based on field recording. It's kind of evolved. I mean, I, I really started uh, getting deep into sound more as a, you know, left field house techno producer. But I, I really became interested in uh, field recording and using found sounds, kind of integrating it with this more club based material. But eventually, you know, the field recording-based material really captured all my attention and kind of took over. I still work in some electronic stuff now, but not nearly as much. The field recording stuff eventually also became integrated into the video work that I was doing. So right now, I'm working mostly in VR, but thinking about VR as primarily an audio space rather than a visual space is currently... What I'm writing for my dissertation, I'm doing a PhD now at York, and my, my dissertation is focused on this audio-first VR. When I'm going to say audio-first, it's not just talking about conventional spatial audio. I'm also using haptic audio and a lot of uh, extended recording techniques. So 
things like electromagnetic transducers, which uh, allow you to hear the electromagnetic spectrum, which obviously isn't normally audible. Things like accelerometers and contact mics that capture vibrational sound, but not airborne sound. So you can listen to the sound of uh, vibrating structures again, which normally wouldn't be audible. I guess it could be audible if you place your ear against the source, you might hear something, but these are things that enable a, a form of kind of extended listening and recording that I'm very much interested in, particularly as things like the electromagnetic spectrum and this, the vibrational spectrum, they're usually manifestations of, I'm going to go ahead and just say kind of this anthropocentric power. So things like infrasound don't normally exist in nature on their own. So these are the product of large-scale industry. Um, in order to create these low frequencies, just you know, physically, you need a lot of energy. And those things don't normally come from, you know, as an individual, it's pretty hard to create something like infrasound. But, you know, a massive structure with like huge climate control systems in it actually causes the whole building to hum and vibrate. And a, a lot of this vibration is inaudible, very low frequency sound that's a manifestation of this, you know, system that's necessary in one of these big structures. So Michael, in watching ancient thoughts and electric buildings, something I was really struck with, and you know, this connects to what you were just talking about, uh, was the richness of the footage. So obviously there was 360 degree video and ambisonic, and you shared also that there was haptic recording uh, and electromagnetic recording. So, so much information. But I'm interested to know what the process was for planning for these recordings. So obviously you were thinking about the space and the, the sound that those spaces would give off. But that's just a ton of gear and a ton of inputs to bring from location to location. So did you have kind of the same rig for everything or uh, were uh, you sort of strategizing what you'd want? Well, that's kind of an interesting point because this location, it's not like just walking down the street. The, the people that are there are mostly the, the people that live there. I mean, it's beside a highway. So normally... It's a location that you experience from the interior of a car. To actually get into the location is a little bit complicated. You kind of have to sort of, you know, in some cases, jump fences and whatever. So if you're in there, you stand out and you're quite visible. So in terms of recording, uh, it was pretty important that I have a small portable rig. And a lot of the people there are really nice. So I got to know a lot of the people that live under there. But some of the people are pretty unpredictable. So you certainly don't want to go in there with, uh, you know, a giant rig and a bunch of people and, and, you know, take a lot of time to set things up because it's not going to work. Somebody's going to come along and ask you to leave, probably. So mostly for this project, I just used a little uh, Zoom H3. It's a tiny little ambisonic recorder. And in some cases, I, I actually brought in uh, a larger ambisonic mic, a Rode, but... I was, yeah, I had to be pretty cautious when I used that one because it takes, you know, it takes a few minutes uh, to set up. It really, in the end, I used mostly the Zoom just because I could plunk it down, record, and if I could see something was starting to happen, you just pick it up and put it in your bag and, and you get out of there, you know. Michael, I'm curious about how long it took you to um, record all those sounds that you used in, in this particular project. In, in working with kind of ambient sound and field recordings, I always wonder how long of a period you're taking that, you know, recording over and how often you visited the location. Yeah, so that, that's an interesting question. We're kind of focusing on the uh, the homeless sites. So half of the project, actually, you're seeing the interior of what's called the PATH system, which is a big underground pedestrian network that 
basically connects the entire downtown core. So that that's been a site uh, where I've field recorded extensively over over many many years. So a lot of well, not a lot of the sounds. Some of the sounds uh, that you hear during the scenes that are within the past system are uh, from maybe three four years ago. Oh wow. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a huge archive of, of material from that particular location. Um, so you've, you've been collecting those kinds of sounds for uh, quite a while. I yeah, see. and I, have a, I really do have a, a weird fascination with the past system. It's so bizarre. I mean, particularly if you go in there, you know, late at night on a Sunday where it's just empty. It's There's something really kind of surreal about it. And it's funny. I mean, now we're kind of getting used to this emptiness because of COVID. But uh, at the time, it was, you know, it's, a, it's an area that's usually experience during the day when it's full of people, you know, business people going to lunch or whatever. And when suddenly it's empty, the lights are dimmed, but everything's still working. So the bank machines are still flickering and there are still, you know, giant video screens that are kind of doing their thing, but there's nobody. It's just silent. You just kind of hear this humming and, uh, you know, these weird little beeps sometimes in the distance. It's, it's a really, um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of fascinated by this space. Yeah, Absolutely. To finish answering your questions, probably uh, the recordings I made in the homeless sites, I I did probably over the course of about four months, four or five months. And and Michael, you spoke about the ambisonic recording. I'm curious for the the haptic and the kind of electromagnetic recording. I mean, obviously, especially with something like contact recording, it's so dependent on what you're creating contact with. So how are you thinking about that in both recording the sites with the people experiencing homelessness and, you know, in the path or inside the the financial district? So with the contact mics, it's... You know, I, I described earlier that you, you realize that these buildings that are, you know, in your brain, you think they're solid, mute kind of things. But when you apply contact mic to it, you realize that the whole building is actually is vibrating. It's It sounds different in different locations. And of course, you know, depending on the material or whatever that you're contact micing. So I, I was interested in, in demonstrating that these buildings are, they're not these big, silent, mute objects. They're They're just constantly... I mean, I want to say breathing in a way, almost right. Like it does give them a kind of sentience or or, or presence in a way. Using the contact mics in the homeless sites was kind of a completely different story because these sites are kind of embedded in concrete structures that are where you have like giant trucks. There's a, a train line that's nearby, so the vibration that you get there is is immensely, incomparably louder different frequencies you tend to get a lot more very low frequencies so i mean in in a lot of respects it was kind of fascinating to uh you know beyond simply the audible sound being completely different you know just the the level of actual physical vibration was immensely immensely different and one of the things that i used actually was a geophone so a geophone is a really cool thing made by a company called lom um and it's a lom oh yeah (laughs) they make so much uh they make so many cool things, but but such uh, small small runs of everything. Yeah, they they sell out in like twenty four hours. <laughs> yeah, you have to kind of get on their mailing list, and then when they tell you something is going to get released, you just kind of sit by the computer and you just <laughs> wait <laughs> wait for the moment and hope uh, the drop. Yeah, hope that it works. Uh, but I did manage to get one of these geophones, which it's. I mean, it works very much like a contact mic, but it, it's really uh, tuned for very low frequencies. And I actually got the geophone really towards the end of the project, so it didn't get that much use. But the use that it did get, the you know, 
some of the recordings made via this geophone thing are just like incredible like in terms of of low frequency component if you look at the spectrogram it's just all you know bright yellow on the very very bottom of the spectrum and I also a few times going in there I did use spectral analyzer just to see you know to to see what frequencies were there and what you know what the overall decibel level was and again you know even on this is just like a cell phone based frequency analyzer but even the cell phone was picking up you know giant low frequency component was just spiking so i mean this is pretty creepy because these low frequencies in infrasound in particular they're often attributed to sites that are haunted so it's uh, one of these things, like a lot of these people that have gone to investigate, you know, supposedly haunted sites, they realize it's like, well, okay, this haunting could very likely be because there's a lot of infrasound here for whatever reason. So infrasound does make you feel, you know, and this, I'm not making this up, it's kind of, it's documented that makes you feel anxious, uncomfortable. It can make your eyeballs vibrate, which makes you, which makes you see white shapes. You know, if you put something on like a glass on a table, the table is vibrating, the glass will start to appear to move on its own. So all these things that are kind of attributed to ghosts could very well be the product of infrasound. So it's interesting to think of these homeless sites as kind of haunted in a way because they're they're saturated with infrasound, you know. And even though it's inaudible, it's definitely uh, hugely present. You wonder what sort of an effect does it have on the people there? What is it, you know, even walking through it, it there is something a little bit disconcerting about being in these sites I and mean, of course visually they're pretty depleted and you know everything's kind of wet and it's hard to accept that people are living this way so we, we tend to respond to the visual aspect of these sites more than the sonic side but there's the same thing happening you know in terms of uh sound perhaps even more so you know they're cacophonous loud infrasound saturated locations Michael, I'm curious, um, in the difference between something that you can hear without any kind of uh, amplifier, any kind of microphone, like the train, right? Um, you would be able to even, you know, physically feel that vibration uh, versus something that is so low and inaudible that maybe the unadjusted human ear can't hear it. How would you go about mixing those two things and, and taking something that is often not heard and something that is heard and, and combining them? Like, is, yeah. do you have a specific process? That, that's a great question because is, yeah, you use, I wind up using spectrograms a lot and there's a lot of trial and error. So I, I also use something called a sub pack. Ancient Thoughts is actually meant uh, to be audited using uh, a sub pack. The sub pack will also give you a better idea of what's happening in the low frequencies. So there's a lot of, you know, mix something, load it into, I use audition, look at the spectrograms, what's going on, uh, put the sub pack on, does it work? Sub pack isn't a subtle device either. You have to really be it can be overwhelming. So there's a lot of tuning uh, that happens in, in terms of uh, working with low frequency. So it's not like mixing, you know, a normal track. It's a lot of, uh, you know, mix it, try it. Does it work? Kind of. This needs to be changed. Go back, remix, try it. Yeah. So a lot of back and forth. It's a little bit more painstaking because, as you said, you, you don't really hear a lot of these frequencies. Gotcha. Gotcha. And and sorry for the um, my ignorance, but what is subpack? <laughs> It's basically like a wearable subwoofer, I think, would be a, a good way to think about it. So it has a, it's like a, the version that I have is like a vest that you put on that has a driver. Yeah, it's used by a lot of uh, house and techno DJs who want to mix without pissing off their neighbors, I guess. So it allows you to, to you know, 
have the experience of sub bass without driving a subwoofer. I, I want to give a, a shout out to Hardeep, who is a, in the class I was taking with Michael, who had a sub oh, pack. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and, and I would get nervous for him when, whenever we were uh, listening to each other's work and we'd listen to anything with too much bass. I would uh, <laughs> get, get worried that, that Hardeep would be uh, shaken off of the yeah, seat. Stir rolling across <laughs> the floor, right? Yeah, yeah. it's possible. <laughs> Michael, I think we have just a couple more questions. Uh, that's okay. Um, so the, the one of the first ones is just how are you thinking about timbre in in your work, just as an overall? Ah, no, that's a great question because I have a fascination with just uh, these mechanical hums. You know, I was talking earlier about this fascination with the path system, but part of it is it's just it's saturated with just like these these really kind of melodic humming sounds, uh, which I really like. So I've actually used them beyond the context of this kind of field recording bass work. I've actually processed them quite a bit and uh, integrated them into more, you know, conventionally musical melodic stuff because they they are uh, these beautiful, hazy, harmonically dense timbres that that I kind of love. When you start arranging these things into, you know, like a vague chord, you just get this this cloud of uh, a beautiful sound that kind of sounds... It, it, occupies this weird zone between you know is it is this a real kind of environmental sound or is it is it is this a weird synth or something you know so yeah it, it really has these wonderful qualities and it's funny because a, a lot of these are sounds that people don't like you know like fluorescent light buzzes and stuff but in fact taken out of context they they have a they often have a kind of beauty to them that i i, I think it really is based on their on their textual timbral qualities for sure yeah and for all the talk of um you know kind of disruptive sound that we were having um earlier they are the sounds in the in the final product are, are so beautiful and something that i don't know i, I would yeah, love to strange, listen to yeah. i'm not it, sure if that's mm-hmm. i kind of found that also I'm, I'm you're the first person to actually point that out but as, as i was uh, putting it together it's like wow maybe i need to find different recordings or something because there, there are points where it does sound I would like it to sound a little bit more sinister. I mean, I mm, think the, okay. uh, mm-hmm. the shots of the homeless locations, I, I don't think there's a lot of beauty there, but certainly within the path system, it's maybe a little bit too nice. But, you know, <laughs> but, that's, but, that's but the it's, way it It's honest. It's honest. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and, and kind of related to that, are you thinking about pitch any differently than you're thinking about timbre? Or are they very related to you? Sometimes I'll manipulate the pitch a little bit. So I'll, I'll try to create a certain dissonance or harmony. So I'll, I'll pitch shift a little bit. Um, I try to keep it to a minimum. But yeah, particularly if uh, sounds start getting layered, I may I may adjust a little bit to get a particular kind of musical effect. Right, right. And you would be adjusting to, I guess, consonants or dissonance? Or are you not even thinking? Uh, in, either. In this it depends, uh-huh. again. So yeah. And sometimes it's not, you don't need to just pitch, you, you just filter, which will kind of give you, it'll bring out certain uh, frequencies. Again, you know, these are sort of harmonically rich. So, yeah, there are different ways of, of layering uh, yeah, these sounds. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, and then our, our last one is, are you thinking about rhythm at all? Because um, there, there are so many natural rhythms in, in these, these yes. sounds, right? Are you thinking about how they layer on top of one another and, you know, create different polyrhythms or are, is it just what they are what they are? <laughs> Oh, that's a great question. I, I wasn't in this piece, but it's something oh, that I'm sure. thinking about on uh, some of the things that I'm working on now. Mm-hmm. It's it's difficult to work with rhythm because you, you have this natural urge to want to create a loop, even if it's, uh, <laughs> right. you know, um, 
even if it's not a four four loop, but if it's kind of this repeating rhythm, then it it brings everything into into this territory where it's like, oh, well, now it's music, you know. Um, and uh, I think you need to be careful. But you're right. I mean, these rhythms they do exist. Mechanical thing. If you listen to your dishwasher dryer or whatever, they make you know steady repeating rhythms. Yeah, it's. I'm actually working now just with. Uh, it's like a little sampler just called a black box. So it's like this tiny little portable looping sampler that you can power from a battery. And in fact, I'm just kind of doing this as a personal exercise, but I'm just bringing this out into locations, recording directly into it and trying to sort of compose little tracks on location. And a lot of the stuff that I'm doing with this thing is just sampling weird little you know, found rhythms, let's call them, and, and kind of looping them and making these weird little... I don't know what to call them. Like they almost sound like techno tracks, but they're oh, I'd love to hear that. <laughs> a little bit different. Yeah. Right now it's just an exercise. I, I'm sort of wondering maybe, maybe be worth, you know, trying to actually do something a little bit more concrete. Uh, no pun intended with these. We'll see. Right. Absolutely. Wow. That's, that's great. Thank you. And then one last question for you. Um, if someone at home was interested in starting to explore kind of any of these techniques, uh, spatialized mm-hmm. audio, haptic audio, um, even trying to fine tune their ears for uh, electromagnetic sound and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, do you have any suggestions for them uh, how they would be able to get started? I know often this gear is really expensive and just... Well, <laughs> you know what? You can get a Zoom H2N, which mm-hmm. will allow you to do you know, ambisonic spatial audio. It's not a particularly expensive device. It's small, it's portable. You know, I have a a lot of kind of esoteric recording equipment, but the H2N just kind of gets thrown into my bag and comes with me pretty much wherever I go. So a lot of probably the the most interesting recordings I have were captured through the H2N just because it was it was there. I mean it's like photographers say the best camera is the one that you have on you. It's it's you know, it's the same thing. Um Things like electromagnetic transducers you can get for, you know, a buck ninety-nine from a couple of sites, and you just plug it in to the input or the HUN and suddenly you have access to this whole other spectrum. You know, a contact mic you can make on your own with very cheap materials, or you know, if you don't want to make it on your own, they are available online for you know for a couple of bucks. So all of this stuff is, you know, accessible, it's fairly easily accessible and it's cheap. So for around two hundred bucks. You can probably get yourself a, a pretty capable rig and do essentially the same thing. A lot of the sounds that you hear in Ancient Thoughts was, you know, captured through pretty cheap equipment. Gotcha. You know? Gotcha. Yeah. No, that's fantastic. <laughs> and just to, to second the H2N, that's actually what I'm recording through right now. It's also a, a USB interface. Uh, True. SD card reader. You can plug in SD cards from other devices even. So... Definitely, definitely appreciate that recommendation. Well, Michael, thank you so much for being on Sound Method. It was really great to peel back the curtain on on this uh, this awesome VR experience that you created. Oh, it was a pleasure. Nice meeting you guys. Well, no, I already knew you, but yeah. <laughs> nice meeting you. Thank you so much. Yeah, cheers. Thanks for listening to Sound Method. If you look in the show notes, you'll find that some of the topics we discussed have been linked. These links will take you to an article in the Sound Garden, a constantly growing resource, drawing on the techniques, tools, compositions, and creators discussed on each episode. Join us next week to learn about sonic installation art with Karen Yu. I'm Jess Sang. And I'm Noah Snyderman. Speak to you soon. Mm-hmm.